Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Saturday morning Bible study discussion. We're so glad you could join us. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we welcome you all. And our moderator is Thomas from New York. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, so I'll start out with our quote, which is a poem. Signs of the heart. Come to me, joys of heaven. Breathe through the summer air. Embalm the long-lost leaven. Dissolving death, despair. Oh, little heart, to me thou art. A sign that never can depart. Come to me, peace on earth. From out life's billowy sea, a wave of welcome birth, the life that lives in thee. Oh, love divine, this heart of thine is all I need to comfort mine. Come when the shadows fall and night grows dark, deeply dark. The barren brood old call with song of morning lark. And from above, dear heart of love, Send us thy white-winged dove. That was a poem by Mary Baker Eddy. It was originally published in July 1899 issue of the Christian Science Journal. Uh, and uh, can also be found in her book of poems. Thank you. That is one beautiful poem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Feel her heart. I am, again, Carrie sent me many articles, and there was one commenting on this poem by Charles D. Wynn, 1925 Sentinel. He says, he who persistently keeps his consciousness full of the truth of God's great love and goodness will always rise above any seeming discords, and error will no longer enslave him. There is not a Christian scientist today who has a type of the difficulties that our leader had to contend with. And she rose above all of hers through her calm and certain knowledge of divine love supremacy and infinitude. We often recall our leader's beautiful words found on page 24 of her poems, and then, Come to me, peace on earth, from out life's billowy sea, a wave of welcome birth, the life that lives in thee, O love divine. And I, so important, none of us here today ever <laughs> have had even a tithe a tenth of what she had to go through. Not to mention our master, Christ Jesus. So, um, you know, to quote my father, who would tell me, quit your belly aching. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I sometimes hear it, a long litany of, oh, oh goodness, all the things that are wrong and how, how I'm working and doing everything right and I don't know what's the matter. Well, think of what Mrs. Eddy endured. And she never gave up. She never quit. She never said, I'm not doing this anymore. She went from house to house without a place to live. No, no real sense of supply. Not good health. Until she came upon the science. So, very important. And it, maybe that's an important lesson to learn from this poem. So. Thank you, Thomas. You read it very beautifully. Yeah. And we might ask ourselves right now, does this poem reach deep into my own heart? And if so, rejoice that my heart is open. But if not, ask yourself what is it that is closing my heart to this wonderful 
promise. Because it gets us right into these visions, doesn't it? I mean, it's a beautiful promise, but it's it's a real promise because it's based on the truth. The truth that we can only perceive in our hearts. That's why our spiritual sense is something that needs to be cultivated, trusted, because otherwise we can't perceive what is real and what is not real in another way. Tom, did you want to speak? Well, uh, the sentence that stood out to me was where it said, This heart of thine is all I need to comfort mine. <laughs> so, you know, there are different things in here, um, sort of like, uh, you know, there are troubles that we go through life and everything, but, uh, you know, we can be steady, right? So this heart of thine is all I need to comfort mine. We don't need much. It's the simplicity of this, okay? So we don't need to, uh, you know, uh, stew over something and wonder why this doesn't go away or fix itself or whatever, right? You know, it's just the simplicity of it. This heart of thine is all I need to comfort mine. So, you know, this comfort is right here, right now. So that's why I kind of like the simplicity of this poem. Mm-hmm. Um, we all go through something. We're all unhappy with something, I suppose, you know, but, uh, you know, never mind about that. Because God is present. So everything's okay. That's, That's beautiful. kind of how I look at the poem. Well, that That's is a great way to look at it. Absolutely beautiful. And add anything to that. It's beautiful. In the Red Book, um, Pages 76, bottom of 76 to um, 77, there's some beautiful things that um, are written. It's a bit in assembled statements, and she says in the bottom um, of 76, Hold on to your life. Let nothing rob you. Rise not by willpower, but rise in exaltation. God loves you. He will not let you fall. The heart is a symbol of love. And to heal the weak heart, we must heal the weak sense of life and love. God loves you, and you love him. You you are right in the heart of divine love. You throb with active love, the animating principle. Life is never disturbed, never in pain, but pulsates in eternal harmony. These fearing times are only chemicalizations like a big storm which gathers and breaks only to leave the atmosphere clear. Anyway, there's a lot of things on those pages that are beautifully uh, talks about love. Thank you. That's beautiful. Yeah, and what a wonderful instruction for our Sunday school, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and further down, just only love can lift you above it all. Love, love, love. Let nothing crush you. Rise immediately. I like that. I've been thinking lately about, you know, Mrs. Eddie especially in the early days, but even towards the later days, you know, she, she kind of had to be her, her own support here, you know, her own, <laughs> you know, getting, because the people around here kept getting, giving those negative reports. Mary was talking about, you know, the murmurings and disputings. So she had to 
ne- never buy into any of it. So, uh, 40 years is a long time not to buy into that stuff. Sure is. <sighs> So I don't know how much of us read the um, book of poems by Mary Baker Eddy, but um, I haven't. And, uh, you know, she wrote poems her entire life. And, uh, uh, of course, we know the hymns, right? So uh, uh, that we're all, well, we all know those very well. Um, but, you know, it's uh, kind of nice to read these poems by her. And um, really not on topic, but... Um, one of the things I thought while I was reading this was the uh, this poem uh, was written at her beloved home, Pleasant View. So as we all know, the Boston Church destroyed that home, so there would be no nothing left of the house, right? And uh, but in some sense, uh, whatever they could destroy, they didn't destroy. So we got this beautiful poem yeah. that she wrote in Pleasant View. So we can think of um, how much she loved at home and her times there. Let me read this poem, knowing that this is where she wrote it. So it kind of lives on, right? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, like the beginning of Watches, Prayers, and Arguments. He talks, uh, Carpenter talks about, you know, how following her and learning to watch and, and work in the way that she says is like us going to Pleasant View. Quite like that. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. And then, um, okay, as we move on, I'll say one more thing. In, in the notes that uh, we posted uh, for this Bible study, if you have what, but if you want to know more about uh, the poems by Mary Baker Eddy, there are links to. Uh, whole bunch of articles so you can go pick one that interests you and learn more about the poetry that she wrote I think it's interesting thank you oh. yeah, okay. so, I was yeah. telling Mary that that's the last book I have to put on the website from Mrs. Eddie so uh, <laughs> I guess I better mm. <laughs> and the links thank you So I think uh, Vision 2 is going to be just fascinating. I'm looking forward to this discussion. It seems very simple, but I think there's a lot of meat and we can get out of this. So the topic is, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. That's Luke 12, verse 2. So what is the lesson that is found in Vision 2? Um and we can go through from each seal, starting with the third seal and ending with the seventh seal. So this is from Revelation 5, uh, verse 11 to chapter 8, verse 1. And then Thomason covers it on pages 150 to 166. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you all know, I hope you all do this. Uh, we've been doing this Revelation Bible study for quite a while, but uh, Thomason has a synopsis, so it's always good to. Uh, read through the synopsis that he wrote. Um, I think he has tremendously good insights. Okay, so we're on vision three, the third or the third uh, seal. Right? I was just thinking. I think there's a reason why these seals are called seals, and it goes along with the topic today. Nothing being hidden that should not be revealed. It points to. Uh, what we know that evil or error can only operate or continue in secrecy or undeception, and therefore to stop it requires for somebody to break this secrecy, break through it, break the deception, open up the seal, and as we all know, exposure is the the number one healthy thing to resolve things that are wrong, to resolve things. Things got to be out in the open and brought to light. And I think in our experience, I think we've all known that when somebody comes along and opens up what's been secretive, and ultimately there's a resolution 
Everybody loves the resolution, but who's going to be the brave one to step up and break the seal in the first place? And all too often, I think that person or that brave one is not given sufficient credit for getting things started on the right foot, which is often is met with disapproval. Well, often the brave one is attacked by those who benefit from the ignorance. Yes. And as Mrs. Eddy says in in her um, chapter on the apocalypse, that it's, it's love that breaks the seven seals. It takes this unself love to do that, to be willing to to step up and do that. I just would like to comment a little bit about the theme that nothing will be uncovered. Or not, yeah, I think. Nothing shall be hidden that shall not be Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Because um, that that does apply to so many things now and a lot of things coming out in the open. But there's another very important point to this, and that is um, how we, we fool and deceive ourselves. Um, Mrs. Evans used to call it self, self-mesmerism. It's sometimes the reason why people don't have healings because they have so mesmerized themselves into thinking that everything they're doing is correct that they can't see what they're doing <laughs> isn't correct. And this is why it's so important why we, um, recommend, if you will, that you go over your thought every day and examine it and reveal to me my secret faults. There's a very good chapter in uh, Mary Baker Eddy or Spiritual Footsteps, chapter 67, that deals with this. Um, it's a, the idea of telling the truth about the lie. We've told that story. A member of the household appeared before her, before Mrs. Evans, with Mrs. Eddy, with symptoms of a severe cold. Mrs. Eddy asked how she felt, and the student replied, I'm all right. Immediately, this pseudoscientific affirmation was met with a rebuke from Mrs. Eddy. Tell the truth about the lie. Um, and it goes on. And I think this is very important. And I think it's why people like our, I often hear, like our Wednesday meeting so much. A lot of people listen to it. A lot of people say how much they get from the testimonies. Um, Carpenter says, when students endeavor to hide their undestroyed errors, under the cloak of scientific statements, it creates an unfortunate deception which would tend to rob the honest inquirer of a right perspective. If the young student thinks the path is always smooth for the more advanced ones, they will become discouraged when they are not able to achieve the same demonstration. So you've heard it, haven't you? People who just will quote, 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 and they're hiding a multitude of sins. <laughs> and and this is why it's so important that we are honest, we have an honest assessment of ourselves, and that we bring any error to light, because unless it is brought to light, it won't be healed. Um, it says, Mrs. Eddy is quoted, when we understand the truth of a lie, then we shall understand God, and not until then. That's powerful. It must be done. And this is the resistance that Christian scientists have to talk about error, to reveal error. You can't understand God unless you do it. So if you're not familiar with this chapter or with this book, please familiarize yourself with it. And then just one other thing um, that's very important. It's, it's in first edition. It's a it's a different expression of what she wrote on page 21 of the current edition of Science and Health. This is the first edition of Science and Health. Unless a man advances spiritually, he is not scientific. And if he is scientific, he must start honestly and journey some every day. And however long he is in reaching the desired goal, if his honesty be preserved, he will finish his course. If you're not honest, you're not going to progress. And I know Mrs. Evans used to say she could heal everybody except if a person was dishonest. If you're trying to hide your faults, you're not aware of what you're thinking. If you're trying to hide your sins, <laughs> then you, you've created a barrier that God can't reach. This is a very extremely important point. Yes, we are uncovering error everywhere, but let us 
remember to begin with ourselves and to be honest in our assessment of ourselves. Don't say you love everybody when you don't. <laughs> I mean, just be honest with yourself and and get it straight so you can say you love everybody. Don't say it when you're you're not doing it. Okay, that was it all. Thank you. And that, that makes sense to be honest. Imagine bringing your car into a mechanic and saying, yeah, there's some problem with the rear end, but the problem's actually in the front. Yes. <laughs> you know, the mechanic looks around, I don't see anything. So. Right, right. No, and I know Florence will, will say, someone will come and say, you know, they're having trouble with their big toe. Well, it turns out you've got all kinds of trouble, and eventually it maybe will come out, maybe it won't, but they won't admit to what the problem is even. Come on, be honest. Hi, Jeremy. I chuckle over this bringing a car that has something wrong with it, right? <laughs> the auto repair and just saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with the car. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. I have found a beautiful article um, called Uncovering Error. This was w- weeks ago I found this. And it's, I thought, I couldn't believe it. What an article to go with this. It's wonderful. It's by Clarence Chadwick, uh, 1916, um, uh, journal article. Uh, I highly recommend it. But anyway, he says in here, among others, and I've highlighted almost three quarters of it. He says, if, if he be critical, ungrateful, or fault-finding, suspicious, or egotistical in his mental attitude towards others, he is hardly in a position to uncover another's error for him. The needful uncovering is in his own individual consciousness. It requires a deep sense of love and of genuine childlike humility to get at the root of any error with oneself or with others. Thank you very much. Thank he's you. he's a wonderful. He's one of my very favorites. We might already have that. I know we have several of his articles, but if we don't, we should put that on the on our website. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's written. Can, can you repeat who the author is again? Clarence Chadwick. It's a 1916 journal article. Yeah, uncovering error. And he also says the Christ method of dealing with such matters like is the only method to be pursued by one who professes love for his fellow man. So he talks about there's only one way to do this, you know, for yourself or for others. But there's only one method, and it is out of love um, for God and and who well, and your fellow man. But Anyway, there's a lot of good things in there. Thank you. I think there's a reason why Mrs. Eddy had so much respect for Paul, formerly Saul. Yeah. Because look what's, look, 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 look at what his experience was. Saul, the most educated of the Pharisees, a lawyer, persecuting this new radical religion that was threatening the institution that he was part of. And yet, he was honest, wasn't he? He was honest and he, he and, and he had childlike humility. And when he was made blind, he asked, Lord, what will thou have me to do? He didn't say, Darn it, you, you know, so and so, and what, look at what you've done, and, you know, I'm gonna fight you to the end. No. Lord, what would you have me to do? And he became Paul, one of the, one of the greatest of teachers and healers. But it was his honesty. Yeah. And his humility that enabled him to do such great work, and God saw it in his heart. I know Mrs. Evans, this is a a good point, Um, she felt very strongly. Once once she found out uh, 
Well, when she was in the organization, she never read any, quote, unauthorized literature. She was told not to. She was in the organization. And she later, when, of course, she found out all that she did, and we got all this unauthorized literature, and, of course, we were no longer part of the organization. And she then she found out that there were a lot of people who, who were reading this thing, reading unauthorized literature, quote, unquote, but keeping it hidden. And she felt that was a form of dishonesty, and and especially practitioners, and one in particular that was teaching from Big Dal Young, but was not telling the class. She heard someone, someone told her this, teaching his class. He was a teacher and and teaching from Big Dal Young, but not giving cream the credit. Yes, it was dishonesty, and she thought that was a large reason. Uh, many of reasons of the fall of the organization because honesty is spiritual power, dishonesty is human weakness, which forfeits divine health. If you're going to do it, do it, and but don't hide it and do it in secret. It was a, I never forgot that point. I couldn't help but agree with her. It was a strong. <laughs> when point. I was in the nursing, there was at least five papers or more I can think of that were passed around, and they would take off the name of who they were. And they were all these papers from Eustace, Wilcox, and Carpenter. And I never knew where they came from, why they were doing that. They would really whisper. <laughs> and and uh, this was when I was in nursing. And uh, all the, the whole time I was in the organization, it was always the secret of passing around these papers, like a uh, day. Um, and, yeah, and there's a couple more that are very common that we have, and I hadn't, and they would never tell you where they came from. Be honest in all your ways. It's criminal. It is. It was very criminal. You're yeah. right. Yeah. And it's also, because they didn't handle it and do it right, it makes it so that new age will... Right. Mrs. Eddie, but not give her credit. Not give her credit, yes. And it was really weird. Mrs. Eddie had many things to say about that, but a lot of it is in reference to the commandment, thou shalt not steal. Thank you. Yes, it is. It's it's all wrong. It was all wrong. And, uh, I mean, I had heard that I would be excommunicated when Gary's grandmother gave me the article place attributed to Mrs. Eddie practitioner told me that hmm. so i thought that was the first thing i'd ever heard of that it was very weird it sounded more like catholicism than christian science but just a point to think about <laughs> okay well you, you hit that on the nail because that's that's the, the fear that a lot of people have was that uh, they would get persecuted if people knew they were reading this stuff and you know my my uh this took me a while to kind of and i learned this from the plainfield church was uh to sort of understand this is that, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times people look to the Boston church as representing Christian science. And uh, if you step back and think about it, there's an organization in Boston, and then there's the textbook. So do you think the textbook and the organization in Boston are one and the same thing? You could. Um, for me, I look at them as two different things. Um, and I think that kind of, you know, uh, if you think that through, it can help a lot of people um, who are Christian scientists as to how to approach this, right? Um, is it the science I read in the textbook or, or is it this organization of people? And they're not exactly the same thing. They are totally different. I mean, and where did Mrs. Eddy recommend did anybody who wanted to know her find her? In her writings. In her writings. It wasn't in the church. Mm-hmm. It was in her writings. And the Bible tells us to prove all things and hold fast to that, which is good. So if somebody's telling you you are not allowed to do that, <laughs> then don't listen to them. Well, like Mrs. Eddy says, the time for thinkers has come. And for those that are motivated more by being approved by the common sentiment. They're not thinking for themselves. They're being governed by something other than what they should be, their own sense of God as their mind, 
So that's a, the other way how evil operates. You know, controls the sentiment of the populace. And people do things because, well, it's going to be accepted generally. Well, are you thinking for yourself? But I would say no. I remember the um, <clears throat> the moment that I decided to leave the organization, my branch church, and leave it. And I wrote the letter. I go. I was supposed to write a letter to the mem to the church, and um, <clears throat> asking for withdrawal from membership. And I didn't know what I was going to get in. I I just. <laughs> But I and it took a while to for, for me to get up enough courage to even do that because I didn't know what was going to be the result. And I got this note back saying that I will not progress in this science um, without being a member of the church. Yeah. And I thought that was such an unloving response. And I and I started. Am I not going? Am I going to stop progressing if I? I mean, wow. Wow. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I think about it now and I go, wow, that was a terrible thing to say to me. <laughs> it shows where they're coming from. Well, it was unloving. Yeah. It's also untrue. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I realized, oh, that's why I left. Actually, I'm. Aren't we told that we should act and do our work as if we were the only Christian scientists on Earth? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that that didn't give much hope for Christ Jesus, right? No, <laughs> he wasn't true. part of the organization. <laughs> heaven, heavens, all these people that came before the organization, they had no way to progress. That's a... Yeah, if you start looking like a Pharisee, you better question yourself. Wow, <laughs> yeah, they're sounding like... They, they're sounding... You know, those that watch The Chosen, they're beginning to look on the ground. That's why we need to open these seals. Right? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay, well, back, yeah. back to opening the, the seals. the grip of control that yes. they would like to maintain. Yeah, it was a threat. Yeah, it was a threat. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Okay. So where are we, Tom? The third seal? <laughs> the third seal. <laughs> Yeah, or if anybody has any comments on the fourth seal. But, uh, I mean, I, I like this conversation because, uh, you know, I don't, haven't really studied Revelation over the years. And so if you ever see anything, um, you know, this, we're right in the heart of all this stuff, the black horse, the pale horse, you know. <laughs> um, and, and, and what we're talking about is, you know, um, Disclosing error and destroying it. Okay, so so what about? But it's totally different than talking about, you know, a rider on a pale horse, right? So, yeah. um, anyway, so okay, third seal is a black horse. Yeah. So what what is that? So what's the third seal all about? Well, the black horse. I I, I found it very interesting in Hoyt. Where she says the black market, you know, that we've known about for, I, it, that whole term, black market, comes from this, uh, this part in the, in the apocalypse. And black absorbs. It doesn't reflect. It doesn't mean that it absorbs. And in, she says, um, long before our modern day, the black market had received its name from the pages of this apocalypse of John. Black is a color which absorbs everything. But as if there were not enough to tell us what the third horse represents, we have two other Old Testament references to help us. We are told he that sat thereon had a balance in his hand. Whenever the prophets of the Old Testament desired to picture greed and covetousness and false business practices, they always associated it with a balance in the hand. In other words, they recognize that greed and covetousness and inflation, all being in the same category and are associated with false weights and measures and dishonest practices. Oh, wow. Uh, today, <laughs> very interesting. It is. Um, there, there can be no doubt that the black horse stands for greed, 
and covetousness and profiteering. Thus, in the presence of all mind, the third living creature, greed and covetousness, cannot operate. But I thought, well, that, <laughs> hello, <laughs> going on today, <laughs> or it's not. Well, I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with. <laughs> so. Thank well, you. I mean, that's, that's what I was thinking about in this Bible study. Like, you know, what are we talking about? Some apocalyptic thing that people are riding around these horses and scaring the heck out of everybody? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or we're talking about because, oh, I wish I wanted something. Oh, I'm jealous of that person that has this or that stuff, you know? Oh, I want more and more and more material things, right? You know? Yeah. Um, and we kind of go through this every day. So this is this is kind of like a daily thing, right? We, we want to reveal whatever errors there might be, right? And then uh, we know they're destroyed, right? It's kind of a process we go through. Well, and it's even broader than that, isn't it? A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. This is the whole human economy. This is the love of material things, the love of money, hunger, and the beliefs that go with it. Hunger, limited supply, there's not enough to go around. This is dealing with a mortal belief. It's not just, it's not just greed. It's more than that. It's the belief that there is life, truth, intelligence, or substance in material things. I mean, if any of you have ever studied economics 101, the fundamental premise of human economic theory is that there is a limited supply of everything. And we have to figure out a way to properly allocate things. And you have, on the one hand, free market economists who are saying, well, people produce what they want, sell what they can, and the price determines how much is purchased and sold. And then there are socialists and communists who believe that, no, somebody sitting in a, in a, on a conference table has, has to agree what the price should be <laughs> and needs to allocate so that everybody who doesn't produce enough, you know, steal from the wealthy and give to the poor and reallocate humanly. Well, this is all, this is all human based on the assumption that there's not enough to go around. And that leads people to be greedy, leads people to be envious. What is, what, and what is the tenth commandment? Do not covet. Thou shalt not covet. And why? Because there is enough to go around. God does provide everything you need. So don't covet what somebody else has or what somebody else does or what somebody else appears to be. That, that is the false human belief that needs to be destroyed. First uncovered, and we're still uncovering it, or trying to anyway. Because what is the prevalent human theory in our universities? Oh, there's not enough to go around and we're destroying it. So we have to, we have to have more government to tell us not to use this, not to use that, right? Yeah. 
this is all very important because people get confused and, and go into wrong areas when they don't have this clear understanding uh, of the science and what, and what, what it's saying and what this different systems are resulting in because it's only causing more chaos, more problems. We always have to get back to what Gary just said, what, what we know as Christian scientists that our supply is unlimited, that there is enough for everyone. And people all over the world are proving that they are. There are those that are. Of course, there's a lot that are not. And so what we're praying is that everyone will learn this, this, not the other, not the other where there's just all more wars and fighting and carrying on because the haves and the have-nots. That will get us nowhere. This reminded me of page 307 in miscellaneous writings. Mary Baker Eddy wrote, God gives you his spiritual ideas, and in turn they give you daily supplies. Remember when I first read that years ago, I was just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I felt like instant relief because I know God's talking to me. I, you know, and he's talking to all of us. He's talking to all yeah. of us. Jesus tells us that God knows what we need, so we won't be left alone. And the science brings the universality of the truth. It's universal. You know, we're taught to, when we're working about anything, we make it universal. So that, you can't, you can't be thinking that there's, you know, just working for oneself about your abundance. You have to see it as the universal uh, law of God, this omnipresence, which is the, um, the truth about this lie is the omnipresence, the universality of the Christ. And that's what, that's what the answer to this is. Yes, there's no, there's not more than one truth about anything. Right. Um, Matthew Henry mentioned something about, um, that the, a dearth of, you know, physical food or famine was bad enough, but a dearth of, um, it, this is not an exact quote, but it was basically a dearth of spiritual sense or a dearth of God's word was even worse. Yes. <laughs> and that, that we needed. <clears throat> and then that is, that is what, and you see, that's another thing that appears to be happening with losing our freedom of speech and, and more and more control over what people can say and not say. And then along with that, comes, well, we'll take the Bible from you, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. Um, all of all of this freedom of speech, which we fought so hard and long for, we must guard, because we have to have the Word of God must have free course, right? Free course. And it's never had totally free course, so let's, uh, you know, it, it isn't, it, it never was okay. It always was bridled yeah. by false belief. All right? So, you know, we're still in the battle of trying to obtain freedom of speech and freedom of everything else that is our right to have freedom for. Now, I have this very interesting article um, by Frederick Dixon, and we know Frederick Dixon as whom? Oh, the man that that Casper... Whatever his last name was, yes. sent that Dixon letter to. Yes. We do have that on our website. The, the Dixon letter. And of course, he was a deep thinker. He was an early worker. And, um, he wrote an article that Carrie sent to me from the 1921 issue of the journal, The Oil and the Wine. And in reference to that, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. He says, he says a lot, but I'll just read some of it. Um, no matter how terrible the conditions about it, the church, the structure of truth and love will remain unaffected. While the great majority relying on its strength to overwhelm the little minority was rushing upon its doom, the minority, the oil and the wine, was to remain unharmed. On one side, as Mrs. Eddy says on page 96 of Science and Health, there will be discord and dismay. On the other side, there will be science and peace. 
This is the record of every chemicalization the world has ever seen. It was so in the days of the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar and of the den of the lions of Darius, and it has been so ever since when men have trusted to principle instead of to policy, to truth instead of to lies, and have not halted between two opinions. War, famine, and pestilence, and death are only phases of the belief of material appetites and passions, which are stirred into violent commotion whenever truth is spoken with a sufficient incisiveness and understanding to threaten the existence of these appetites and passions, which is what Bruce and Gary were talking about. The true church is the understanding of principle which rouses era into moral chemicalization and so causes it to pass away of destruction and not, as the writer of Revelation very well knew, the human beings who crowded into the church in Sardis but who nevertheless had defiled their garments nor those who in the church at Laodicea were so wise and political that they were neither hot nor cold there are those who held to the doctrine of Balaam and the church of Pergamos. In other words, the oil and the wine were not those who attended the church and who, while seeming to be living, were really spiritually dead, but those who understood truth and lived in obedience to truth, sufficiently to be able to demonstrate truth. So, he is saying that they're they're the ones that are going to have the the oil and the wine. It'll be you will be unaffected, just as in last week's lesson, Daniel overcame the the lion in the lion's den, and it's true here and now as we live this truth, not as we see in the churches that weren't living the truth, but as we truly live the the, the truth. And you don't have to be a quote Christian scientist to do that. And you don't have to be a member of a branch church (laughs) to do that. No, you don't. And you don't need to be a member of the organization in order to grow. You just need to be living this truth and awake and alert to it. You will have the oil and the wine. There will be science and peace. But it, it takes dedication and work and steadfastness, not the waving of a magic wand when help, help, save or I perish. Well, yes. Do save or I perish. It's true of all of us. So I thought that was a a good explanation of it and a true explanation. But yes, all of these things seem to be happening. The the horses (laughs) seem to be quite prevalent at the moment. Well, and I think, you know, going back to the uh, a fundamental question about the uh, the visions here. You know, some, um, people have asked for centuries, does, do these visions, um, prophesy events that are going to happen? Or do they prophesy states and stages of thought that is growing spiritually? Well, in science, we understand, because Mrs. Eddy explained this very clearly, these seals, these visions, represent states and stages of thought. And this is the gift that Jesus Christ gave to mankind. Thank you. Yes, so it it happened hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. It's happening now. It will continue to happen until all the era is swept away and um, the millennium is brought in. Uh, But you see, these states and stages are for each one of us individually to grow through, to assess. And obviously, clearly, some people will progress faster than others. And those who do have an obligation to help those who are not progressing <laughs> as quickly. Yeah, I just want to say, Karen had mentioned the word profiteering, and I, I'd heard the word, but I didn't know what it meant, so I looked it up. It was, it's the act or activity of making an unreasonable profit 
on the sale of essential goods, especially during times of emergency. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was just thinking about how, you know, we give everything away for free. You know, we're not making a profit on, and, and this is an emergency. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Everybody you. needs it. Thank you, you know, we're not telling people that they're, you know, if you don't conform, you're cut off or anything like that. We're making a profit on every tiny thing. So. Thank you. So true. We, Good point. We talked about that originally and we decided, no, this, now's the time to give this out as quickly and as easily and as freely as possible. Pour it out to a hungering world. And share what we, so you have a clearer vision so you can demonstrate these truths for yourselves that you all can and all are. And by doing so, you'll be a great benefit to mankind. So tell them about capitalism and free enterprise. Well, free in the next five minutes. Yes. Well, it does exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it's more of a broad statement about uh, nations and overall economies, but economies in which people are free to uh, pursue uh, careers that they want to pursue that are free to uh, produce goods and services that help others and where they can do it and actually get paid for it. Uh, in an economy where um, people are allowed to own property, to own their own means of production, their own factories or offices or whatever, they care about it. And they will do the very best they can to do the to do the best job that they can, and that economy will prosper because people will be doing, to a large extent, what is in their consciousness the best thing for them to do. And when you have a Christian nation plus free enterprise, then people are. Got a lot of people doing what God wants them to do. And how can it not prosper? But when you have uh, uh, restrictions on what people can do, or when you have an elite uh, organization, uh, yeah, which gov- you know, which communism mm-hmm. or socialism pr- pr- promotes that owns things and then hires people to to do jobs that they may or may not be interested in doing, then you have an economy that does not prosper and people are poor and people are hungry and people are homeless and unhappy. And unhappy. That is what Mrs. Eddy calls tending the regulator. When you've got an overburdensome government interfering in people's activities. And it's often done in the name of good, which is why it can be confusing. Back when I, when I worked construction, when, whenever the, the other people would do something and it wasn't quite right. They would always just say, well, it's good enough for government work. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. You know, I, my mother, when I wouldn't clean my room up or whatever, she said, well, when you have your own place, you'll take more pride in it. I mean, it's just a little simple thing like that. But it's true. When you own something, when you work for it, you will do the best. And and that is free enterprise. It, and that capitalism gets confused with greed and all these horrible rich people who do terrible things to others, and that's a problem. But that's not to be confused with free enterprise. Exactly. You know, socialism has a bunch of greedy people. Well, <laughs> well, no, absolutely. And there are a lot of people in the government 
who want to control your life more because they themselves agree. But no, I mean, just to finish this off, the word capitalism is totally misused by 99% of the media. Capitalism is a statement of fact. In order to have an economy, you have to have capital. You have to have human capital. You have to have intellectual capital. You have to have factories. You have to have monetary money. You know, you have to have uh, physical capital. Capitalism exists. It exists in every country and every economy. The question is, who owns the capital? That's the question. And that's what makes the difference. If people are allowed to own their own capital, they will do with it really productive and profitable things. But if they're not allowed to own their own capital, either their own intellectual capital or their own property or even their own labor, which is the case in total communism, which is why communism is a total has always been a total disaster, then nothing works. People pretend to work and the and, you know, there's a statement this is <laughs> this is a joke in Russia that's been around for, you know, ever since the Bolsheviks took over. We people pretend to work and the government pretends to pay them. Mm-hmm. And those that- you know, I- Oh. are those that covet the capital the most. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Which is why I get saying that the free enterprise needs to be combined with Christianity. Yes. Right. It yes. needs to be the golden yes. rule and the Ten Commandments. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Thank you. So, I want to say that... Uh, oh. Can I ahead. just say one thing about, well, after this ties into what Gary was talking about, there's a perfect place in clear... Clear and correct teaching by um, Herbert Eustace on page, it's the bottom numbers, on page 365 in the act, part of answering some questions. And he talks about this, how he says, at first the pilgrims felt that community interest rather than individual interest in crops would better serve their ends for the moment. But they quickly learned, as Governor Bradford records in his history, that collectivism was doomed to failure. Complete individuality was essential for true spirituality and prosperity, as it always must be. It's his. It's uh, it's his. It's under America um, in Houston, but it's it's addressed. It's, it's exactly addresses this situation so beautifully. I just wanted to point that out. That's a very good point. And many many. <laughs> His, his, history history has proven a million times that socialism, yeah. <laughs> a large scale and small. Yeah. <laughs> and the scale. early workers in science knew this, including Mrs. Eddy, who talked about the evils of socialism, and that's why this isn't political. This and these are things we were taught here. This is Bible based. People have been misinformed and confused on these issues. And we used to talk about it a lot in this church, and I have held back on it, but I'm now no longer going to because there is too much confusion. And Gary has a very clear understanding of it and can, can explain it well, as I'm sure many of the rest of you do as well. So, And this will keep us away from the black horse, all right, which is right. what we want to avoid, the black horse. And as the as the fourth seal points out, all of these false beliefs lead to one thing: hell, death, <laughs> right. yeah. death, and hell. A belief of life and matter and limitation. Yeah. Go ahead. So I want to mention I've been reading about reading about the history of Haiti, <laughs> and it was a fascinating thing because. Um, uh, they had all these plantations for different things, just not just searching, but other stuff. And they would take all these raw materials to Europe. Um, and then in Europe, the Europeans would take those raw materials and they'd process them. They would do something with them. They would make an absolute fortune. So we're not talking about importing, uh, you know, uh, 
cocoa beans to Europe. We're talking about what they did with them, and they made a fortune in Europe. So, um, and why was that? Because in Haiti and other colonies, they were forbidden to do any processing, no manufacturing, nothing. And you see that? So, uh, yeah, totally Zero restricted from that. Zero Christianity. And, and we so this is why sometimes people look at capitalism as evil, because I'm not talking about communism right now. E- e- evil. People look at that, though, capitalism must be evil, right? Yeah, see that, see that, that, that shows a total misunderstanding of what capitalism is. Capitalism is neither evil nor good. It just, it is. It just exists. People are evil. And again, and, and people, and Christianity. And, and when people are in control of other people, that's a recipe. It's a recipe for disaster. And whatever you reap, you will sow. So no one gets away with anything. I also think this is why sometimes, you know, there's been this thing about uh, uh, Europeans being smarter and better and the rest of the world not, you know. But if you're not permitted to take whatever your natural resources are and do some manufacturing and add some value and make money off of that, um, then you just remain poor. So they think think of the circumstances of the people, um, but they were forbidden to be something other than poor. But that was government control. Absolutely. Freedom of capitalism. Right. That's why government control is a really, really bad thing. And our forefathers who constructed the Constitution, knew that really well. So they designed a Constitution that would ensure that the federal government would stay small and would not impose itself on the citizens. And guess what? For time, people got in there. They changed the definition of words to suit their own agenda, and we, and now we have a federal government that is totally out of control, doing things that it should never ever be allowed to do, and ruining millions of lives. It turned into the red dragon, right? But it was, you know, it was false beliefs getting entrenched. I mean. Yeah, yeah, I the mean, human mind and the Adam dream. It it could mm-hmm. it, it could never have happened if Christian Science had been given free reign and if mm-hmm. the organization, if the board of directors, had obeyed the manual. Because even that the organization got swollen and controlling. But again, we have the answer, and we build the era up. That was in something I read, probably in footsteps. That Mrs. Eddy said, "You build the era up in order to destroy it, uh-huh. to see its total nothingness." And that we must always remember that, uh, not to why stand aghast at nothingness. So, but it's important to understand and have it uncovered and revealed, so you know what the right answer is. And of course, the right answer is the government of God. And, uh, yes. It's the only legitimate government. The only legitimate government. It's on his shoulders, not person's shoulders. Yes. Yes. Unto us a child is born. <laughs> right. Emmanuel. <laughs> Thursday night watch. <laughs> That's right. Yes. That's yeah. right. Exactly. If you're an inch, it takes a mile. Well, yeah. we have to have our gun on next. Immediately, exactly. Right. Thank That's just you. why we have to uncover these seals. It's not an easy task. There's a lot of misunderstanding going on, and there are a lot of people who profit from maintaining misunderstanding and fear yes. and ignorance. And they put in the propaganda to get you mesmerized into believing it. And that's why the end of this, the seventh end, failing of the seventh seal, but yeah. silence for the silence space of half, half an hour. hour. <laughs> the hypnosis And in Revelation interpreted, Kratzer, he understood all this too, and he speaks of it, and he 
there's one chapter just he gives about war and what and it's just what Gary described what causes the war is the feeling of lack and some people have more than others but we know that is not true everyone has the right, right. to the kingdom of heaven at hand and that we are about and that is what our work is about so and if Russia were a Christian nation we wouldn't have the mess that we're in in Europe right now they took away, you know, the ability to go even to churches. To to church. Yep, they're all. So, so this is what we guard against. What we must guard against always. We we defend our freedom, and uh, and and, pro and protect our institutions from being infiltrated and corrupted. And this this saves us, spares us from the the horses, the four. Horsemen of Apocalypse. It will, because our eyes are open. Shorten the days. Shorten yeah. the days, yep. Okay, well, it's past due, well, so. So thank you, Tom. You got anything yeah, else to add? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So many interesting topics. We could talk for hours. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, really. Uh, so, um, <laughs> Where are we? Are we going to be on the pale horse next time, or or do we get to the number pale four? Horse? Like number four. Yeah, four kind of follows closely with three, so it's a shame that we didn't get to four. But so we can pick up we'll with four. Okay. Yeah. And okay. we we don't have a date yet, but we'll let you know when it'll be in January. We'll put the dates up for the new year. Um, it'll probably be toward the end of January, our next Bible study. Thank okay. you very much. Thank, well, you, thank, thank you. you. Thank 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 you.